Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing this morning? Good. Can we thank our worship team for leading us in worship, really making my job easier? My name is Nate. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so excited to be here with you this morning, opening up God's Word. Uh, This weekend is extra special to me. Today is actually the uh, Marine Corps birthday. I served in the Marine Corps in uh, 244 years. So my fellow Tufelhundans. We also have Veterans Day coming up. So if you are a veteran, if you served our country, can you please stand so we can honor you for your service? Any veterans in the room? Don't be shy. Thank you so much, and their spouses and their children, and really the sacrifice that they pay for our country. It's just awesome that we get to recognize them. We had our marriage conference this weekend. Uh, Dave and Kristen led that. That was amazing. Did you guys have the pleasure of going to that? That was awesome, amazing life. We're just going to keep on clapping for everything. Yes. And then we're going to get into God's Word at some point. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5. If you don't have your Bible this morning, there's people that are making their way forward. Go ahead, raise your hand, get a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep that. That'll be our gift to you. So we're going to be starting in verse 11. We're going to get there in a moment. Um, I have two kids, Cameron and Colby, and being a parent, is, it's an awesome, it's a, a blessing, and it's really one of the greatest joys in my life, but it's also like the most sanctifying thing in my life also, and you know, that's just part of being a parent. Uh, Cameron's eight, Colby is four, and Cameron, um, he's really my little clone. Like when he was born, Stephanie was like, we, we need to name him Nate Jr. He, he looks exactly like you. And I was like, no, we're going to name him Cameron, so that is, that's his name, and... <laughs> That's not how it went, but um, so yeah, he's Camui, and both of my boys, they share this uh, distinguishing facial feature, the butt chin, and uh, when they were born, I was like, those are definitely my kids, because we had the same chin, and now I grow out my beard to hide it, because I would literally be in conversations with people, and I'd be talking to them, and then I'd be like super self-conscious, because they're like staring at my chin the entire time, so I was like, cool, I'm going to grow out my beard and hide this thing, so... Sorry, boys, you're going to have to deal with that. It's going to grow character in you, though. It'll be fine. Um, another thing Cameron shares with me is our build. Uh, I, mean, I, I was usually really small, and I'm still kind of smaller. And when Cameron was born, he was always under the like one percentile on the growth chart. And as we're going to these doctor's appointments and they're telling us that, hey, he's, he's small, he's below the one percent, uh, just keep an eye on this. Stephanie and I were young parents at the time, so like any brand new young parent, as we're on our own in Georgia, what we would do is we go to Google or WebMD. Why is my child not growing? Well, what's going on? And you know, you always get like the worst case scenario, right? Uh, some of the results that we got. Maybe he's not getting enough calories. Uh, maybe there's a caregiver with emotional problems, and maybe you're not feeding him enough. It's like that's encouraging. Um, Maybe he has acid reflux. Maybe there's an inability to digest food. Maybe there's a heart disorder. Maybe there's a kidney disorder. So we are just freaking out. And then the next one that I looked at that was very interesting um, was this failure to thrive. Failure to thrive is uh, said to happen when a child does not meet the recognized standards of growth. Um, And I'm looking at that. And, you know, it turns out Cameron is just, uh, just a small kid. 
You know, he's just like me, and he has a smaller build, and he's growing uh, like he should now, and everything is fine. But if he did have this failure to thrive, and if this was a thing that we had to address, we would have had to figure out what steps do we need to take to ensure his health? Uh, How do we recognize this? How do we recognize that he's not growing how he should be and act on that? And that's what the writer of Hebrews is going to be getting at this morning. He's going to be looking at the spiritual maturity of the church. He's going to be looking at how we are taking in information, how we are being fed and fed, but maybe we're not growing. Maybe we're not meeting these standards of growth. So go ahead, follow along with me in verse 11 as we get into this passage. Verse 11 says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. So it's like, come on, like as I'm preparing to preach this to you guys and I read that, I'm just like, awesome. Even the word of God is like, hey, there's a lot to say about this and it's really hard to explain. I actually, I had to switch with Dave because I'm going to be on vacation next week and he like had zero resistance to this. He's like, yeah, oh, you want to switch? Good, let's switch. Well played, Dave. Good job. (laughs) But this is going off of last week's message. As Cal is preaching and he's talking about Melchizedek and he blew all of our minds where he's like, I believe this was a Christophany. That that, that was Jesus. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, hey, we're talking about Melchizedek and we're talking about these deep theological issues and we're going to be really doing a deep dive here. But before we get into this, there's there's a lot to say about this. And before we get into it, um, we need to address some more foundational issues So verse 11, again, says about this, Melchizedek, we have a lot to say, and it's hard to explain why, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Ouch. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and instructing about washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. This we will do if God permits, for it is impossible. In the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are, uh, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name and serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there's a lot there and there's a lot to unpack. And the, the first thing that we have to recognize with this passage is that this is a warning passage. 
And a warning, it's something that is said or it's something that is written to tell people, to inform them of a possible danger or other unpleasant thing that may happen. That people are coming in, we're hearing the gospel, or we're being fully informed, or we're being fed full of knowledge, but maybe we're remaining in a state of infancy. You know, maybe we're not growing in our spiritual maturity. Maybe we're experiencing this failure to thrive. So the problem that we have to address in our big idea this morning is when I fail to thrive, I'm not moving past the basics. When I fail to thrive, I'm not moving past the basics. Verse 11 again says this, about this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled and a word of righteousness since he is a child. And this is a hard rebuke. This is us being called out. This is the writer of Hebrews saying, hey, you have to pay attention to this. Hey, I'm calling you out. I'm making it uncomfortable. I don't really care because this needs to be said. Proverbs 5 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. That we have to be okay with being called out on this. That the writer is doing this out of love and out of grace and out of mercy. He's doing this because he cares. The author says that we've become dull of hearing. And the Greek word for this is northros. Turn to your neighbor and say, no throws. Turn to your other neighbor and say, no push. That's the literal translation of this word. It combines the two words, no and push. Okay, it's literally saying that there's a failure, there's, a, there's no desire, that there's no push, that, that we're not even attempting to do this. And he's saying here that you've become dull of hearing. You've become difficult to teach, that you're slow, that you're sluggish. And I know when I'm called out, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like it. And a lot of us, if we're called out, we just want to kind of just go back into a corner. We're like, I don't like confrontation. I don't like this. This makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm crawling in my skin right now. So we have to ask ourselves a question. Am I okay with being called out? Am I okay with being called out? Is anybody in the room, um, anybody else used to just kind of sleep in high school in class? Anybody? Christian, you're not raising your hand. There's no way you did not sleep in high school. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Honesty, right? So maybe you're like me. Um, I remember going through chemistry class, and we were learning about photosynthesis or mitochondrias or something that really should be on, like, a Netflix channel for when you want to go to sleep at night and, like, hit that REM sleep, you know? Um, no offense to any chemistry teachers in the rooms, but um, it's fine. I remember being in chemistry, and my teacher didn't really like me, Mr. Hutt, and I didn't really like Mr. Hutt either, but maybe now we would be friends. And I would, I would sleep in his class, and I remember sleeping, and it's towards the end of the year, and um, uh, again, the topic we were teaching about was like the basics to move on to like advanced chemistry stuff. And I remember sleeping, and Mr. Hutt just yelling at me and waking me up. He's like, hey, you know what? Why don't you go stand in the back of the room? You know, maybe if you're standing in the back of the room, uh, then you'll be more likely to stay awake. You, you know what your problem is? You're going to fail this class because you don't understand the basics. And, and you know what? If you put in some effort, if you would do something with this knowledge, maybe then you would grow. And I remember being in the back of the room, and my face feels like it's on fire, and I'm sweating, and I'm scared, and I don't really know what to do with that. 
But the reality is, is Mr. Hutt was calling me out because he wanted me to succeed. He wanted me to grow. He wanted me to move past the basics. He wanted me out of his class, right? (laughs) In the same way, this author of Hebrews, he's doing the same thing. He's saying, hey, by this time, you should be teaching this. Uh, By this time, we should be moving past the basics. Verse 12, he says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I can remember being in a small group um, early on in my faith, and I was in Pastor Eric Klingel's small group, and you know, every week we would go, we would study sermon notes, we would do a book study, we would you know, do different Bible verses, whatever that may be. And, and one week we showed up and it was different. And there's a different question that was being proposed. And I want us to ask ourselves this question. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand or anything like that, but really challenge yourself with this. And we walked in. He's okay, things are going to be different. I'm just going to ask you this. Um, using scripture and scripture only, who here can lead somebody to Christ using just the word of God? And I'm in this small group of people who grew up in the church, that come to church every single weekend, that went to Christian schools, that, you know, did all those things. And I'm looking around and nobody's raising their hand. And I'm like, what is going on? Are we just scared? So I'm looking, I'm like, if that dude's not raising his hand, there's no way I'm raising my hand. Is that us this morning? Are we coming in here every single week being fed and being fed and being fed but not growing in our spiritual maturity? Are we experiencing this failure to thrive? If it is, are we okay with being called out for that? Proverbs 12.1 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. It's God's word. It's not mine. It's really convenient right now, but I didn't make that one up. Hebrews 12 says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's like, man, in that moment, it's hard. And it's, it hurts. And it's painful. And it's uncomfortable. But we see the fruit that's produced out of that challenge. Proverbs 15 says, Whoever ignores instruction despises himself. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So are we okay with being called out? What is the response? What is our go-to? What does our heart reveal about ourselves when we are called out? And I see three different ways that this plays out. The first one is we have this inward response. You know, I'm called out on something, and immediately I'm just like, really? They're going to say that about me? And I'm thinking in my mind, and it's just really just taking control of my heart, and it's leading me into these dark places, and I'm stewing on it, and I'm dwelling on it, and I'm like, man, I have the perfect comeback to say this time. I know what I'm going to say next time I see them. Like, whose soul is that causing more damage to? Mine or the person that I think is offending me when really they're trying to help me? The second thing I see is we have this outward response. Or maybe you're just quick-tempered, and we, we just fire right back, and we just challenge any kind of uh, situation where somebody's speaking into our lives. And maybe you're a combination of the, the first and the second, and I would say you need soul care. But my, my favorite kind of person is when we're meeting with a couple, my wife and I, and we're in soul care, and they're like, hey, call me out. 
If you see something, call me out. If you see something, lay the hammer. If you see something, really just point that out to me because you know what? I have blind spots. And that type of response is our third one, the godly response. That God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And when we do humble ourselves and you know, I let somebody speak into my life, I'm like, man, thank you for pointing that out. I, I didn't realize that I was doing that and I'm going to work on that. I'm going to bring that to the Lord, but I, I need you to keep on speaking into me because I'm not going to see that blind spot without you in my life. How do we respond? Are we defensive? Are we angry? Do we just shut down? Do we make excuses? Do we judge motives? Who are the people that we are allowing to speak into our lives? The reality is, is we are all in a small group. We are. Every single person is in this room. We have a small group. Is that small group telling us to seek Jesus or is your small group telling you to seek yourself? We all have this inner circle. There's never been one time where I've gone to small group on a Saturday night and I'm like, hey, Cal, um, man, Steph is the worst. Like, I, you wouldn't even understand. Like, I got home from work and she was just on me about, you know what, hey, I need you to take the kids now. And um, I've had the kids all day. And I was like, no, I've been preparing a sermon all day. And I'm like, you know what, I value my time. And you know what, I deserve this when I get home. I need to rest because I need to preach on Saturday. Cal would be like, no, 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 first of all, shut up. Just stop talking. You're, you're, that's not right. Um, second of all, you know what you need to do is you need to bring this to the Lord. Uh, that you need to seek him, that you need to go to him, seek forgiveness, uh, to repent and confess and make things right with him vertically. And then after that, you need to go to your wife. Because whenever there's vertical repentance, there's always horizontal too, and you need to make that right with your wife. You need to seek her. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have non-Christian friends. I'm not saying throw them to the curb and get rid of them. But what I am saying is that they should not be your inner circle. Who do you have speaking into your life. I know that I need my Christian brothers and sisters to speak into my life because my flesh wants what it wants. That you do what you do and you feel what you feel because you think what you think, right? And I need those people to point those things out in my heart and keep me vertically aligned to Jesus. First Corinthians 15 says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So go ahead, follow along with me. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, therefore, so transition, right? Now, now that I have your attention, now that you're standing in the back of the class, now that you feel exposed, now that you're called out, the, the writer says, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and move on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance, of dead works and faith towards God and instructions about washing and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, this we would do if God permits, so for us, repentance and faith and eternal judgment, those are all very familiar terms. Those are things that we come in here and we hear and we understand. But what about this, uh, the, the washing and the, the laying on of hands, right? What do we do with that? So we have to remember the original audience. We have to remember the, the context here. And he was most likely speaking to Jews who would have been very familiar with these Old Testament passages and practices such as uh, purification rituals and baptisms. And uh, the thing to look at is the same principle that, that applies to us right now, uh, that if I'm going to avoid this failure to thrive, then I have to uh, realize that I can't run without mastering walking. I can't run without mastering walking. And the author's saying, you should get this by now. You should under these are basic principles of the oracles of God. 
These are things we shouldn't be repeating over and over again, and he's ranting a little bit, right? And he's getting ready to go back into chapter 7 that Cal taught last week when he went 5 and 7. He's saying, before we get back to Melchizedek, we have to understand these basic things. Um, Last year, I got into snowboarding, and I'm 29, and I'm like, Steph, this is something I want to do. I'm going to be really good at it. I'm going to start snowboarding. And she's like, okay, great. Have fun with that. That's going to be awesome. It's like, that's not the time to start doing this. Um, look at Craig. You know, Craig is just happy wherever he's at. He just kind of enjoys everything. Um, Craig also wears skis, so there's that. <laughs> but... I remember going with my friends, and I've never done this before. I've never been somewhere where you go snowboarding. And as I'm picturing the hill in my mind as we're pulling up, um, it's very different. We're driving up. I can see it going, but I don't see the top of it yet. And I'm like, this is not good. This is going to be bad. So I get all my gear on, and I'm just acting tough. And they're like, have you ever like been on a snowboard before? I'm like, nope. They're like, OK, we should probably start on the bunny hill. And I'm like, what is a bunny hill? And they're like, it's the little hill over there. So I look over there, and there's like these kids are like this big. (laughs) And they're just like shredding it down the bunny hill, right? And I'm just like, there's no way I'm being caught dead on anything called bunny. It's not (laughs) happening. And they're like, all right, bro, um, let's do it just once. So I did it one time and made it down, just went just straight down the hill, didn't turn, didn't do nothing, just straight. I'm like, all right, let's go. Nobody saw me. Let's get to the big hill. So we go get on the chairlift. Never been on a chairlift before. That was interesting. I think I fell probably 30 to 45 times just getting off the chairlift, like at the top of the hill. And like none of my friends would even like ride on the thing with me because they're like, you're going to fall. You're going to grab us and bring bring us down with you. So you're riding it by yourself. So I think I ended last season with a broken thumb, a hyperextended elbow, a couple concussions. Is there anything that I'm missing? Some pride. Probably lost some pride too. But I wouldn't even start with the basics. I wouldn't even take time to learn the fundamentals. I wasn't like, you know what, I'm not going to spend time with this. I just want a deep dive on what I think is going to be filling to my soul. And that's what the writer is saying here, is that we have to get the basics. That if our desire is to move on to advanced deep theology, we have to quit being just consumers. We have to quit experiencing this failure to thrive. We need to grow in our spiritual maturity. If we're not growing past the basics, we're at risk. We're at risk of this failure to thrive. We're at risk of remaining an infant. Uh, We're at risk of falling away. Verse 4 says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. What I see here is God warns me to protect me. God's warning me to protect me that the author of Hebrews is calling me out for my own good. And I honestly believe that this is the most difficult passage in this Hebrew study that we're doing. So what I want to do, I want to break this down uh, verse by verse and really get a clear understanding of what he's saying. So first of all, let's consider the context. 
Uh, The writer here, he's speaking to Jewish people who have experienced God. They've experienced Jesus perform miracles. They've seen it with their eyes. They've heard the message from his lips. They are really witnessing everything that he's doing. They're being fully informed, but they're still on the fence. Uh, They're still thinking about going back to Judaism. It's important to understand that this is not directed at full-on believers of Christ. A misinterpretation of this text would say that you can lose your salvation. That's not true. That's not what it says. First of all, the passage doesn't use any terminology that would point to salvation. There's no mention of justification. He doesn't say sanctification. He doesn't say new birth. He doesn't say regeneration. He doesn't say to be made holy. He doesn't say to be made righteous. The word here that's used is enlightened. And that in the Greek means, uh, the word is photizio, And it has to do with this intellectual perception. It has to do with this uh, knowledge of biblical truth that is gained. It means to be mentally aware of something, to be instructed and informed. Uh, That's what enlightened means. And um, uh, again, think about the historical biblical context. Uh, The people are there. they're, They're traveling with Jesus. They're watching Jesus. They're experiencing everything. They are being enlightened. They are being informed. They're taking in the knowledge but they're not doing anything with that knowledge. They are becoming enlightened, but not saved. The text then discusses tasting. It says that those who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and that sharing in the Holy Spirit, and other translations would say that they're partakers of the Holy Spirit, that that's in association with the Holy Spirit, but, it, but it's not in possession of it. it. says that they tasted the goodness of the word of God. They tasted the powers of the age to come. And uh, this gift that we're talking about, it was received, but it was not accepted. Uh, that they were tasting these things, but they were choosing not to eat them. And there's a difference between tasting and eating. John 4, when Jesus uh, meets the woman at the well and he asks her to give him a drink of water, uh, she responds uh, that the well is too deep, uh, that she can't reach the water. And then Jesus says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it was saying to you, give me a drink, uh, you would have asked for him and he would give you living water. And not, not just a sip, He's not saying that I would just give you a taste of it, but what he's saying is that you can fully drink of it. This living water that's fully going to quench your thirst, that's not going to leave you thirsty, that's going to leave you in a spot where you're not desiring or craving anything more. John 6 says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Again, not taste the bread, but fully eat of it. Jeremiah 15, 16 says, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. There's a difference between tasting. There's a difference between eating. And I need help uh, illustrating this. So Dylan, Libby, can you guys come up here, please? Libby's like, I hate you right now. Dylan's our high school pastor. Libby is his amazing wife. She's way better than he is. But we still love him. All right, come on over. Uh, Dylan, why don't you stand here? Libby, why don't you stand across from him right here? And Libby, I want you to make the funniest face you can at Dylan and see if he doesn't laugh. Oh, I'm a master. All right, go. (laughs) 
That has nothing to do with my illustration. I just thought it would be really funny. Okay, well, so. <laughs> 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 yeah. Okay, so tasting and eating, right? Stand over here. Still? Stand here, yep. Look at that. Oh, wow. The thing that you'll learn about a diabetic is I always have snacks everywhere, all the time. <laughs> I'm always ready to go, just in case. Has anybody had Taco Bell breakfast? Yeah, my favorite breakfast in the world, Taco Bell breakfast. We got some Cinnabons here. We got, that's for you, Cinnabons. Um, I'm going to give you this sandwich. Why don't you go ahead, open that, and just, like, enjoy it. The sandwich? Yeah, no, not you, just her. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Take a bite of that. Can I actually eat it? Yeah, totally. Actually eat it. Mmm. Looks good. Does it look good? Yeah. Ooh, hash browns. Orange juice. Yeah, hash browns. Try one of these, too. These are really good. Go ahead, enjoy yourself. Dining in front of the church. Yep. Um, I know this is very uncomfortable for a woman to be eating in front of everybody at church, but Dylan was like, hey, do it. <laughs> Lick this. Mm. Delicious. <laughs> is that weird for you? Is it weird for me? Yeah. No. <laughs> Lick this too. That's way better. Is it way better? Yeah. So, like, when I give my kids a drink, <laughs> I'm like, don't drink a lot, just a little bit, because it's mine, so just get yourself a little taste of that. Hmm. Barely. Barely, right? And what we're seeing here is, like, Libby's eating it, and she's enjoying it. And she's like, this is awesome. This is great. I can eat as much as I want. I can be fulfilled by this. There's these Cinnabon things. Those taste good. Oh, the hash brown, that's amazing. I love that. Oh, there's orange juice too. Dylan, just he gets to lick it. He doesn't even get to taste the hash brown. He doesn't get to experience it. He, he can taste the sugar on the outside, but he doesn't get to taste the stuff that's in the middle of it. There's a difference between eating something and being filled by something and just tasting it and just wanting and desiring and craving more. Thanks, guys. Go ahead. You can take your breakfast with you if you want. Can we give Dylan and Olivia a hand for helping me out? (laughs) What the writer of Hebrews is saying, he's saying, hey, they are tasting these things. They're tasting the word of God. They're tasting salvation. They're tasting the Holy Spirit, but they're not choosing to eat it. They're not choosing to be full of it. They're just witnessing. They're just experiencing. They are being enlightened, being made known, but they're not choosing to accept. So my question, you notice Dylan was excited when he got to take the breakfast and he walked off and he's like, oh, this is amazing. Awesome, thank you. How is it possible to taste these things, to experience these things, for them to be a tangible truth to us that we can grab and still reject it and still say, no, I don't want that? How is that impossible? Or how is that possible? So here's the turn in verse 6. It says, And then they have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. So again, with complete clarity, this passage is not speaking to believers. This is not a you-can-lose-your-salvation passage. This is still speaking of unsafe people who have heard the gospel, who have acknowledged it, but refuse Christ. The person looks like a believer, and maybe they're falling away. The question that we have to ask is, were they saved to begin with? And how do we know if someone is saved? Fruit and time. 
John Piper says, genuine Christianity is marked by a new heart and new emotions, not just new ideas and new patterns of behavior. And here's the warning. The warning is come to Christ now. For if you fall away, if you're fully informed, if you're fully enlightened, all the evidence has been proposed to you, and if you say no and you reject Christ at that moment, it will be impossible for you again to come to the point of repentance. And I I know that's a bold statement. But scripture, the word of God that is without error, reinforces that. And Matthew 10 says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. 2 Timothy says, if we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. John 14, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. For all the believers in this room, you cannot lose your salvation. Jesus is very clear about that also. John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. Romans 8 says this, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. It says, no. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor present things, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you in heaven, who by God's power are being guaranteed through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So it is the unbelievers right now being fully enlightened, being fully proposed with the gospel that are at risk of losing salvation, hearing, seeing, understanding, yet rejecting. This headline says warnings against apostasy. It's warnings against rejecting Christ, warning against hearing and denying, a warning against eternal death. And what do we do with that word impossible? Right, that it's impossible to restore them? I don't know if I agree with you, Nate. I don't know if that really makes sense. But look at that Greek word for impossible that's used in the rest of the book of Hebrews. 6.18 says, it is impossible for God to lie. 10.4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. The harsh finality of this danger, it cannot be escaped. It can't be minimized. As for the unbelieving Jews were concerned, Jesus, he got exactly what was coming to him. He deserved to be crucified, that the evidence was presented, and they still decided that he was not the Messiah If if we're here right now today and we're not willing to accept Jesus as both Lord and Savior, we are making the same mistake, that a stance is being taken in the crowd, that apostasy is setting in and that person is separated from the love of God. Rejection of Christ has happened in full light and power of the gospel. Billy Graham says the only sin God cannot forgive is the sin of rejecting Christ. 
Turn to him in repentance and faith, and he will forgive you. And the writers, like, I know this is deep. I know that there's a lot here. I know that this is challenging and it's uncomfortable. But then he gives an illustration from the text. And verse 7 says, For the land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those whose sake it is being cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless. It's near to being cursed. And in its end is to be burned. See, the gospel is planted and there's nourishment, there's growth. Some of it is beautiful, some of it is productive, some of it is good. But others, it's false, it's spurious, it's unproductive. It comes from the same seed, it's planted in the same ground, uh, it has the same water that it's being fed by, but it becomes thorny, becomes destructive, and it's worthless. It has rejected the life that has been offered to it, and it's only good for burning. Verse 9 says, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, so there, there's an encouragement there. He said, hey, I understand we're speaking in this way. I understand that this is uncomfortable, and I understand that we're saying things that can be scary, but in your case, beloved, but now I'm speaking to you, followers of Christ. I want you to be encouraged by this. He says, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not grow sluggish, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So in the encouragement that we see there is God does not leave me in the warning. God does not leave me in the warning. The author changes his audience. He's now directly speaking to believers he says, yes, this is, a, this is a hard warning, but beloved or believers, we feel sure of better things. We can have full assurance that if you're here right now, you're a believer in Christ, that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that there's a promise to be inherited, that, that right now as I speak, the Lord is preparing a room for you in heaven, that we have to be 100% sure about that. So have endurance. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be times where life gets hard. There's going to be times where we're looking and we're not understanding what's going on. It seems like there's a storm all around us and it's just getting worse and it's getting worse. And in that moment, we just have to keep our eyes on Christ. Feel sure of better things. Desire for each one of you is to have full assurance of hope till the end. Romans 8.18 says the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Romans 5 understands that there's going to be suffering. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Because of that, as followers of Christ, we can't grow sluggish. We can't get complacent. We can't remain in this place where we're just being fed and fed, but we're not growing We have Jesus to look to as an imitator of the faith. The, the scripture says that through faith, does that sound remember? Does that, does that sound familiar? And we look at Hebrews 11, and there's a whole chapter of people that we can look through and how they live through faith. Through faith, by faith, Abel, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, all these people believed and they acted in that faith. 
believing in the word of God, acting upon it, regardless of how I feel, because I know he promises a good result, that we can have assurance until the end. Who greater do we have to look to to imitate than Jesus? The entirety of this study, every chapter that we've gone to, it's all pointing to the supremacy of Christ. It's all saying all this is about Jesus. Every person that we study, it's all about him. So now we're here and we're left with a decision. For those of you who know Christ, we can't grow sluggish, can't be complacent, but maybe you're in a season of backsliding. Maybe it's a season where you recognize this and you're like, man, uh, maybe I'm not growing. Maybe I am experiencing this failure to thrive. Maybe I'm in a place where I'm just being fed, but, but I'm not doing anything with that. And that can change. It can change right now. That we can leave here realigned, focused on our relationship with Jesus, chasing after him, wanting to grow in him. For those of you that don't know Christ, that haven't had a moment where you've accepted him both as Lord and as Savior, and you're wrestling with this right now, you have to make a decision. Right now. That there's no sitting on the sidelines. There's no, I'm just going to wait. I don't really feel comfortable yet. I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to chew over this. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to contemplate it. And then maybe I'll make a choice. Delaying is rejecting. Thinking about it is rejecting. As we're wrapping up this series, as we are hearing the gospel, where we've experienced all these things. We've tasted all these things. We've tasted the word of God. We've experienced the Holy Spirit move. How foolish will we be to taste that and choose not to eat of it? So if you don't know Christ, we're, we're going to pray in a moment, and I would ask that you give your life to him. I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to come up front. I'm not asking you to kneel where you're at. If you feel led to do any of those things, go ahead and do that, but you have to make a decision right now. It's time to make a choice. It's time to make a move. It's time to do something. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for today. Lord, thank you for this place that we can freely come, gather here, and hear your word, where we can come worship you. Lord, I just pray for anybody in the room that is a believer of you, but maybe we've just been in a season where we're backsliding, where we're hearing the word, but we're checking in on Sunday and then checking out when we leave these doors. Lord, I pray that your word that's living and active, that it's sharper than two, two-edged sword, that it's piercing our hearts right now, that there's a fire that's ignited in us, that you become the ruler, you become the Lord of our lives. Lord, I pray for the person in this room that doesn't know you, that hasn't accepted you. Lord, have this be a moment where they are becoming fully enlightened. The knowledge is giving to them. Lord, that they have tasted I just pray right now would be a moment where they choose to eat. Lord, they would choose to have your word just take over them, to give their lives to you, to put a stake in the ground saying, this is where I die, this is where you take over. Lord, we're thankful for that gift. We're thankful for your son. We're thankful for your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.